Well, good morning to each one. It's good to be with you this morning. I greet you in the name of Jesus. So I need to ask, first of all, how many of you are making a trip in the next couple of days to go see the eclipse? Anybody here? Not many. I think maybe some of you have already, some from here have already left. Uh, I'm sure you've heard a lot about it. It's been in the news. People have been talking about it a lot. I find it very interesting. Mankind have spent millions and millions of dollars building attractions, entertainment centers, theme parks to try to attract people to come see what they've done. And yet we see here this act of nature, something God set in place, is drawing millions and millions of people to, to this two-and-a-half-minute event. I think it's pretty interesting. I also think it's, it's interesting. We amaze at what man can do in predicting the future. They, they study the stars and the, the, herb, the Earth's orbit, and they tell us exactly the path this eclipse is going to be, exactly when it's going to happen, uh, how long it's going to last. And then they tell us that seven years from now, there's going to be another one, and it's going to take this path, and it's going to be at this time. And uh, then I, I believe they've, they've predicted that I think it's around 83 years from now, there's going to be another one come through, and it's going to be on this path. And we marvel that, that man can do that. But I had to think, isn't it even more amazing the God that designed all this, that set all this in place, did so in such a way that it's, it's so exact that we can predict these things. I think that's even more amazing. Had, had the revolution of the earth, the orbit of the earth, been just a little bit inconsistent, we'd have no way of predicting these things. But, but God designed it in a way that uh, the man has been able to, to look in the future and know exactly where the sun and the moon and the earth are going to be uh, on certain days. Now this morning I'm not planning on talking about the eclipse, but my mind was drawn to God's creation, uh, the, the world around us, what he's done, and I want to look at that this morning. I've entitled the message, The Lord Made the Heavens. Uh, turn to Psalm 96. I want to begin there. I believe most of us this morning believe probably very similar as to how the world was created, who, who created the world, when it was created. So my desire this morning is not to convince you the guy created the world. I think you already believe that. But rather my, my desire this morning is that we would, our minds would be drawn to God as the creator, as the sustainer of the universe, that we could look at what he has done and, and worship and praise him for that. And, and see him in his creation. And then also to be reminded of what man's role is in the creation. So Psalm 96, I want to start out reading just four, uh, verses 4 and 5. And I'll read the rest of the chapter a little later. But verses 4 and 5 is the, is the focal point of this chapter. Everything else in this chapter points to verses 4 and 5. It says this, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. 
For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Now we see here in verse 5 a clear distinction between our God and the gods of the world. It's a very clear distinction. The gods of the nations, it says, are idols. Now, uh, several months ago at McGackiesville, I brought a message entitled The Gods of the Nations and, and spoke on idolatry. And I'm not going to uh, touch on that much this morning, but I do want to uh, just think about the gods of the world just briefly this morning. It says they are idols. And if you go to Psalm 115, it gives us a very clear picture of what an idol is. Psalm 115, starting with verse 4, this is, this is what the gods of the nations are. It says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. So a very clear picture of what an idol is. In other words, it's worthless. It has, it has no value. It, it looks good. It, it looks like it should be able to do things, but it can't. And then verse 8 is, is you could say, a slap in the face to those people who actually follow after these gods. It says, they that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. So in other words, everyone who is not serving the true God, according to this passage, is worthless. I don't think that's too strong of language. Uh, that's basically what it's saying. Everything they do is, 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 is pointless. But the Lord, our God, it says, made the heavens. So you, if you compare Psalm 115, these idols that they can't see, they can't hear, and then you look at, uh, and you don't have to turn to this, but Psalm 94 verse 9 says this. This is speaking of the true God now. It says, He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? So our God made all these things. Our God made the heavens. Our God designed the eye and the ear. And so of course he sees. Of course he hears. We, we know that. So we see this clear distinction between our God and the gods of the nations. Now I want to read the rest of Psalm 96. And the rest of this chapter is pretty much what our response should be to God, the Creator, the one that made the heavens. So think about that as we read Psalm 96. O sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name, show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. 
Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord, for he cometh. For he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. So we see in this passage various ways that we are called to to bring glory to God, uh, what our response should be to God as the Creator. Uh, I wrote down a few. You could probably come up with a few more. But we're to sing, we're to tell others about Him, we're to bring Him glory, we're to bring Him offerings, we're to worship Him, and we're to fear Him. We see all those things here in this chapter. Our response to a holy God that created us and created the world around us. Now thinking of God, the creator, God uses various methods of revealing himself to people. Uh, Years ago, he sent his son and revealed himself through his son. Today, he uses his word. He uses the spirit. He uses man's conscience. But I believe that the most convincing proof of God's evidence today is found in his creation. If you look in the Bible, different places, the the writers of the Bible refer to this. Uh, They they use uh, God as the creator as a way of um, pointing, as a way of uh, validating their message. You'll read things like, Uh, the Lord made the heavens, or the Lord which made the heaven and earth, uh, thus saith the Lord that created the heavens. So they point to to God as the creator as a way of saying this is the true God because he he created the earth, he created the heavens, so this this is right what we're saying. We can trust him. Um, My mind went to the hymn, Thine is the Kingdom where it says, creation proves the marvels of our maker's skill. And I've found this to be my own personal testimony as well, whether it's a sunrise in the morning, a sunset in the evening, uh, whether you're all alone in the woods, uh, or I think, I think probably the, the time that it, it, it speaks to me the most is, is early in the morning when I go outside and it's dark, it's still, it's clear, and you see just the thousands of stars overhead. And these things just, just point to a God. They point to a creator, uh, a supreme being, an intelligent being who, who made all this. And different times when I, when I see these things, I just have to stop and say with the psalmist, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And I just have to ask the question, who am I? Oftentimes we think that we are something, but when we look around us and see God in creation, we, we soon realize that we are nothing. And yet, Scripture tells us that God does care about us. 
He cares about us so much that He knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He cares about the little things so much that He even sees when a sparrow falls, is what Scripture tells us. So God uses His creation to speak to people who otherwise wouldn't hear His gospel, wouldn't hear His message. I want to read just uh, two verses out of Romans 1, where it talks about this. Romans 1, verse 19 and 20 says this, Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So that's saying there that even people who, who don't know God, who maybe haven't heard the gospel message, can still see God. It says they still see His invisible attributes through creation, through the things that are made, and it says so that they are without excuse. So God uses His creation as a way of, of pointing people to Him, of showing people who He is. Now, this in no way gives us a pass on the Great Commission, we are still told to go and share the gospel. And yet God has, has made his creation in a way that, that it speaks to people who haven't heard. We see the same thought in Psalm 19, where it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. And in verse 3, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. It gives a picture of creation, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just out there, just speaking God's praise. And it's, it's telling it in a language that everyone can understand. No one, no one has an excuse because we all have God's creation speaking to us day in and day out in a language that we understand. It's hard for me to believe that intelligent people who study nature, who astronomers who study the stars, can come to the conclusion that there is no God. I have a neighbor who is a very intelligent man. He's a professor at JMU, and he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. And I just say, why? why? How, can, how can you do that? How can you study the world and not believe that there's a God. Creation is, is speaking every day, saying there is a God, and yet these people refuse to believe it. But Scripture talks about these people, and, and it actually tells us why they don't believe. Uh, if you want to turn to Second Peter chapter 3, Second Peter 3, I'm going to read uh, verses 3 through 5. It says this, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth 
standing out of the water and in the water. So I see several things in this passage uh, that, that tell us about these scoffers. Number one, this passage tells us that there will be scoffers. We can count on that. There are going to be people who deny that there's a God, deny that there's a creator. Uh, number two, this passage tells us that these people choose to deny God. They make a decision. Verse 5, it says they are willingly ignorant of this fact. They choose to be ignorant of the fact that there is a God. I think if, if many of these people would be completely honest with you, they would have to tell you that their theories really don't make sense. Yeah, they can give you really good answers on a lot of questions about our origins, but some of the most basic and fundamental parts of how we came into being, they can't answer. They can't tell you when life started, where life came from. They, they can't do it. And it's, they're, they're, that's a fundamental question that, that we need to be able to answer. And the third thing this passage tells us, it tells us why they live this way. It tells us that they live this way so that they can live the lifestyle that they want. Verse, uh, verse 3 says that the, that the scoffers are going to come, it says, walking after their own lust. So they believe this way willingly so that they can do what they want to do, so they can live the way they want to live. There was a prominent evolutionist that once told his colleagues, he said, we can't allow God to have a foot in the door, for if we do, there will be no stopping. And he was exactly right, because as soon as these people admit that there's a creator of anything, that, that there's someone who, 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 who created any part of creation, as soon as they admit that, then they have to admit their reliance on him. Because obviously he is greater than they are, and he's in control. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. If we acknowledge that the earth is the Lord's, then we also have to acknowledge that we are the Lord's. It says, They that dwell therein are the Lord's. And that's why these people refuse to believe that there is a God. Because as soon as they acknowledge that, then they have to be subject to him. In Romans 1, I read just two verses from there. But if you read further, and I'm not going to do that this morning, uh, but if you read down to about verse 32, it tells us more about these people who refuse to believe. It, It says some things they do. It says, they change the glory of the uncorruptible God into corruptible things. They change the truth of God into a lie, and they worship the creature more than the creator. Now, I don't know if you've ever met anybody like that, but I've had people tell me before that they don't worship God, they would more worship creation. And, of course, the question is, well, where did that come from? But that's what these people do. And, and Romans 1 goes on to tell us the consequences of this lifestyle. And it's very interesting uh, if you have the opportunity to, to read this, the, the consequences of people living this way, and it's pretty much identical to where America is today. 
that's, that's where we're at as a nation. Uh, and and scripture, scripture prophesied that that's what happens when people fail to recognize God as their creator. So as scripture says, there will always be scoffers, and we need to, to be a light to these people. We need to reach out to these people. But more importantly, we need to guard our own hearts. We need to make sure that, that, that we believe in God the creator and I believe that as convincing as God's creation is that he is real, we still must believe it by faith. Sometimes we wonder maybe why God didn't put something in his creation that would just prove that he's real. And he could have done that. He could have done something when he created the world so that no one could have denied it. Uh, there was an evolutionist once that was asked, what would it take to change your mind, to convince you that there was a God? And so he named off this list of things that, well, if we could just find this or this or this, then it would prove me wrong. He said, but we don't find these things. And, and so I asked the question, why, why didn't God put these things out there? So that, so that it would be obvious. Why doesn't God lead an archaeologist to the ark? You know, if, if the ark was uncovered up, up on top of a mountain, that would totally do away with the scoffers. They would, they would have to admit that the Bible was true. I, they'd probably find a way around it, but it would be overwhelming evidence that there is a God, but God's chosen not to do that. And I believe it's because God wants his people to believe in him by faith. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So even, even when we don't have all the evidence, we must believe in God by faith. Believe in God the creator by faith. It takes faith to believe it. And so I ask you, do you see God in creation? I believe that God longs for his children to look around to, to notice what he's made and to worship him for it. Our world today is so loud and it's so bright and it's so busy and electronic and it's easy to, to be captivated by the creations of men and miss the creation of God. And it's a challenge to me to, to, to see God in, in his creation. I remember... I think the only time I was in Times Square in New York City, uh, I walk in to Times Square and there's just lights and noise and billboards and flashing messages and it all pointed to, to man and look what we've done, look what we've made. And it's easy in those instances to, to exalt man and we forget God. I want to read several verses out of Isaiah 40. Several years ago at Harrisonburg Bible School, I was uh, in charge of the devotional at the beginning of Bible school. And I looked at the creation in my devotions and and pointed out a lot of different uh, aspects of creation to these children. And it was very inspiring as I studied that. Uh, and I'm not going to share much of that here this morning, 
but I, I just wanted to point out a few things. Isaiah 40, verses 25 and 26. I want to read this out of the NIV. It says, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Who can we compare God with? There, there really is none. I'm, I'm amazed when I hear figures about the stars uh, and again, I'm not going to share many of them, but I, I wanted to share just a few. Uh, we're told that in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, there's as many as 100 billion stars. And we're told that there's hundreds of billions of galaxies other than ours, many of them bigger than ours, some of them not quite as big. I think ours is pretty big. They tell us that it's 100,000 light years from end to end. And yet, we see here in Isaiah, it says that God brings out the starry host one by one. He calls them each by name. That's who God is. God, God made these stars. He created them. He calls them each by name. And oftentimes we think that our earth is pretty big, but then astronomers tell us that there are stars out there that you could fit quadrillions of earths into. That's, that's what God created. And it's hard for us to wrap our mind around it. Psalm 30, uh, 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. So God just, just spoke. And he created these billions and billions of galaxies, of stars. It's, it's, it's incredible. Many years ago, a man by the name of Hipparchus said this. Well, first of all, Scripture says that, that you can't count the stars. They're innumerable. But many years ago, this man said this. He said, there are only 1,056 stars in the heaven. I have counted them. Well, then someone made a telescope and proved him wrong. And the bigger they make their telescopes, the more stars they discover. And I just have this feeling that when we get to heaven, God's going to say, you didn't even see the half. You thought those stars were big. You should have seen the real big ones. Um, there's, there's so much out there that God has made. And why did he make it? It's to declare his glory. It's to, it's to point to a creator and to exalt him. <clears throat> and again, I'm not telling you these things because I want you to know the size of the universe or the size of stars as much as I want you to know the size of God, how big and how powerful God is. Psalm 147 verse 4 says, He counts the number of the stars, he calls them all by name. In Isaiah 66, verse 1, it says, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Scientists today spend billions of dollars to try to find life somewhere besides this planet. And the one reason they give 
for thinking that there's got to be more life out there is because our, our universe is too big if, if we're the only ones. It's way oversized just for us. But Scripture says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And if that's what the heavens were created for, then it's probably about the right size. Neil Armstrong, when he was coming back from the moon, obviously for mankind that was a tremendous feat to land a man on the moon. When he was coming back, he looked out his window and he saw the earth coming into view and he, he put his thumb up and he closed one eye and he said that he could blot out the earth with his thumb. And he made this comment, he said, at that point, I did not feel very big. In fact, I felt very, very small. And I think that should be our attitude when we look at the creation. It shouldn't make us feel big, it should make us feel very small. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And yet, Psalm 103, verse 11 says this, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Now I want to speak just briefly of what our role is in, in God's creation. I find it interesting when you read the creation account in Genesis, it appears as if God spoke and the stars were made. He spoke and the animals were made, the birds were made. All these things just came into being. And yet when God made man, he goes into a little more detail. It says that God took dust and he used his hands and he formed man out of the dust of the ground. He didn't just speak and man appeared. He actually got down, got dirty, and made man. He formed man and then it says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He he breathed into man the breath of God and then man became a living soul, a never dying soul. I think that's that points to to man as being the pinnacle of God's creation. God took extra time and effort to make man, and he did it for a reason. When when God created Adam, he gave him some jobs. He told him to to, uh, take care of the garden, to have dominion over creation, to name the animals, to to fill the earth with, with people, to raise a family. But the most important reason that God made Adam was to enjoy his creation and to, and to praise God for, for creating these things, to praise God for who he was, to glorify him for who he was. And then several thousand years later, God made me and God made you. And just like Adam, he made us with some specific purposes in mind. He, he has a job for each one of us. And for each one of us, that, that job is going to be a little different. But one thing remains the same. God made us to praise and to exalt Him for who He is, to glorify Him. Revelation 4, verse 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. That's what God created us ultimately to do. And yet, as a whole, mankind has failed miserably in doing that. What about us? Are we fulfilling that calling that God has called us to? When God made 
the animals, the stars, the trees. They just automatically did and are doing what God designed them to do. 24 hours a day, they're just doing what God made them to do. They're just uttering his praise and, and doing what he designed them to do. But when he made us, he made us with a choice. He made us in a way that we must choose whether we're going to do what he's called us to do or whether we're going to do what we want to do. It's our choice. And that's the way he made us, and he desires that we would make the choice to serve him, to glorify him because of who he is, because of what he did. I want to read just two verses in closing. Uh, One in Isaiah 51, verse 6, it says this, Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment. And they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. And then in 1 John 2, verse 17, a very similar verse, although it's in a different context, it says this, The world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. This creation that God made has a purpose. And yet, we are told that one day, its job will be done. It will no longer need to be out there doing what God made it to do, And all these things will be destroyed. But the salvation of God and those who are doing his will are going to live and abide forever, eternally. And it's so important that we we recognize that. The only thing that's going to last is those who are doing the will of God. Those who have, have taken this free gift of salvation that God has offered. They're going to be the ones that abide forever. So this morning I just want to challenge each of you to look around you, to see God in his creation, and to worship him for who he is, for what he's done, to serve him with our whole heart, and strive to be the person that God designed you to be. Lord bless you. Let's have a song.